Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex. I am joined, as always, by my good friend, my coach, my pal, my Keyforge compadre. It's Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, man. How's it going? Not too badly. And very exciting. A first-time guest... To help from future self, it's Dave Cordero from Team Reapout. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Hello, hello. So uh, uh, you're here this week because Blake and I were talking a little bit uh, a while ago about uh, a bunch of different topics that are sort of new and evolving topics within the game of Keyforge, specifically about high-level tournament play, uh, money becoming involved, and a lot of other things that we thought that you specifically would be able to provide uh, a little bit of perspective on. So really exciting to have you here. Are you ready to dive into some discussion? Yeah, let's... uh... I'll try to give whatever perspective I've had, and yeah, ready to go jump into it. So before we get started on just the general conversational topics, can you give our listeners a little bit of your history with Keyforge? Uh, how long you've been involved, uh, what kind of uh, play that you've done, uh, the kind of high-level events you've been involved with, and so on and so forth? Sure. Uh, so I first heard about Keyforge before it came out. Uh, the, one of the local game stores in the Austin area uh, made a post on their Facebook about um, they got distribu- distribution through Alliance, so they're asking if anybody wanted them to order anything, and then somebody commented on that, oh, when this com- game comes out, you should uh, see if you can order some. And so I clicked on it, and it was just kind of like a, like the FFG announcement for Keyforge or whatever, and I'm like, huh, that sounds kind of fascinating. And uh, when it came out, I bought, a, I bought a display of Coda, and I got really, really hooked on it. Just right away, just with that first, first, first 12 decks. Yep. Yep, for sure. Um, and then I guess when, because uh, there was a while where there wasn't any OP uh, before, like there were chain bounds and uh, and uh, vault tours and all that. So uh, there was just a lot of people playing online in the beginning. Uh, so like one of the first uh, discords that was running, like not even weekly, but like two to three times a week events. Uh, was Keyforge events, and so I joined that one, and I was doing all right on that for a while, uh, and then uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to make it to any vault tours because there weren't any vault tours anywhere near Texas, but I decided I would go to uh, to Denver, and I made top eight in Denver, and then I thought that was going to be the only one that I could get to, but everything lined up that I could basically go to Gen Con for free. And then I got second to Gen Con. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm like very hooked on going to vault tours. And I drove to every vault tour from then on that was within 20 hours of my house. So how many have you been to now? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I tra- you, you drove know to Vegas? Mm, I flew to Vegas because I have a friend that works for an airline and I got oh, okay. cheap tickets. But I, I, drove, to, I drove to Gen Con, uh, drove to... Pretty much anything that was in the Midwest, which was like 14 to 18 hours, depending on which one it was. Um, and uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I also drove to the Texas one, but that's less grueling. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You you are definitely, I think, considered one of the, the top players in the community, without a doubt. I don't think very many people would try and argue with that. And yeah. you've clearly showed it with your showings and whatnot. So... 
why don't we uh, get into the subject for this week? And this is something that I've been really mulling over lately. You can see that clearly because of the situation with the world that the IRL tournament scene and competitive organized play is clearly non-existent and the date for when that will start up again is TBD indefinitely, it seems right now. Right. So as a result, we are now starting to see this emergence of the online OP coming, which is, honestly, it's frankly astounding because it's literally the community and us as individuals and groups coming together and deciding, you know what, we still want to do this. We still want to play this game at a high level and it's just been growing. Obviously, I think the the coat scene was probably the first one I think that really emerged and has been consistently going considering we're about to hit number seven. Mm-hmm. Um, have you participated in that? Yeah, I've uh, I started in uh, coat two and I've done uh, pretty much all of them since since then. Yeah, I missed the first one, but yeah. Yeah, and then since then, we're now seeing, obviously, we had the Glorious U, which was organized by Sanctimonious, Mm -hmm. and there was a cash prize added to that, which was, I think, the first time I've seen that on an online tournament where it was a little bit more kind of open and looking for high-level players, which was quite interesting. I'm trying to think about, uh, because I know the when Kip was around, they ran three kind of high level tournaments or two or yeah, three that's of true. them. Yeah, that's right. And I know that the true survival event that I won had like a fifty dollar prize or something. Uh but yeah, those are all right right glorious few won and that were like the same month. Mm-hmm. So it's like right around April, like when really that's kind of when it clear. became uh clear that that was where we we're gonna have to get our key forge in, you know. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's wild and interesting that this has happened. It, I think it does show a strength of the community and the game, seeing that this is happening. And now we have, like, obviously, Coat's still going. The Glorious U just happened, so I'm sure there'll be another one of those. And then now there's the KPL has started to emerge, which is looking to try and really bank on that whole prize pool being a, a monetary winning, which is really interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how this keeps evolving and will we keep seeing tournaments like this kind of emerge what are, you, what are your thoughts on just having tournaments with a prize uh like a cash prize attached to it now I'm, that's what what i was really curious about sure uh well i came from magic where it was like fairly normal mm-hmm. for there to be uh events with prize pools uh like one of the, like the like if you were going to go to a tournament on any given weekend uh it was likely going to be like a 1k if it was like, you know, like 30 or 50 people or something like that. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, I was kind of, Keyforge was the first game I played that didn't really have, like you know, events that like did have a, a prize payout uh, that was like money. Um, so I just kind of, so basically because I was already used to that, when I saw that, I think the first one I saw was at Gen Con, the guy who, there was like, there was the FFG uh, spot, and then over on the other side, there was uh, Arthur. I don't remember what his company's name is, but he was the guy who used to run Keyforge events. He was doing cash tournaments over there. Uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that seems normal. Like, you know, at one of these cons, it makes sense that there would be, like, cash tournaments for any given card games, you know, pretty popular. Keyforge at the time, I think, was, like, what, the third most popular card game or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I really like that... Um, People are doing it online uh, with prize pools uh, that are money just because you don't have to deal with shipping 
and you can open it up to like anybody anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you have like, oh, you win a box, right? But then somebody in, I don't know, like Hong Kong wins it. That's going to cost a lot more to ship it to them than it would uh, to ship to, I don't know, Z, who lives just on the other side of Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Do, do you think that this is going to change the dynamics of Keyforge, though, having uh, more of a monetary, maybe it's, you can call it even an expectation when you're playing a high-profile tournament? I don't really think it will change uh, much. Um, people were already taking it kind of seriously, like at the Vault Tours, where, uh, you know, like the, the big prize is a chair that you might see in a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like I like so even like when it was just like for casual fun, people were still taking it quite seriously, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think that like you know fifty dollars or something like that. Like it's not like you know it's definitely cool to like get some money back from your hobbies for sure. But I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to dramatically change uh, the way people approach the game. Uh, people, you know, there's definitely some people you know looking for competitive decks and like throwing around a lot of money, and like even when even before there was price money that was happening and the uh i mean the payouts that we've seen so far are not uh are not enough that i think that it would radically alter the secondary market and i don't think it's enough that it would alter the uh the the tournament mood you know everybody was already taking it seriously but is still like it's still one of the best communities that i've been part of so yeah i think that's hard to argue against yeah, yeah I, I'm always curious about the money question because I think when FFG announced their very first, you know, we're going to drive money tournaments, there was a variety of opinions. And I, I kind of like your perspective, Dave, a lot because, you know, uh, having participated in one vault tour very early on and then just local events since then uh, due to lack of opportunity, to be totally frank, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it is very much one of those things where I didn't see anybody not taking it seriously um, when it was still just like, you know, oh, get a bunch of stuff off the prize wall and, you know, a special kit and a potential to go to world like that stuff. People all even mm-hmm. at our local level took those events seriously. Everybody was still polite and cool. Nobody was a dick, but we we did see like the competitiveness come out. And so the suggestion that I saw thrown out around an awful lot was this is going to attract the worst elements of and I'll be totally frank. This is what people were saying. The MTG community Keyforge always rang a little bit false to me. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of the people who play magic that have not already tried Keyforge are never going to try Keyforge because they're disillusioned with the fact that they think they built decks. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's a it's a harder meta, I think, to game. Like obviously there's there's been periods where, you know, all right, everybody's playing control the weak decks, or everybody's playing Genka decks, or everybody's trying out Brig, or you know, everybody's gonna give Quixelstone a shot. <laughs> but it, it certainly seems like the meta doesn't get solved in the same way that MTG does. Right, right. And like even if you look at some of the data from some of the more recent Archon events, like I think it was like one of the KFPL uh qualifiers and the glorious you there was there was one of them i can't remember which one of them it was where there was like like a hundred furnaces uh registered for day one and then like the top cut only like one or two decks within furnace made it you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everybody wants to try that stuff when it's when it's hot and then they find out that either they their decks aren't competitive with uh the other decks or that it just isn't uh you know it's such an interesting like you can't think of Keyforge modularly in that way, I don't think. 
Right. Yeah. There's a spreadsheet somewhere in one of the sanctimonious discord channels. I think that uh, lady Aurora threw together that has all that information. If somebody wanted to dig in deeper and like fact check those numbers, I just threw out there off the top of my head, but it was something in that, you know, mm -hmm. range. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this keeps evolving and will we see somehow a response from FFG when they start seeing this? Like that's that's the real question is will we officially get something sanctioning this sort of concept? And obviously if there's not an official online client, that's going to be a challenge. But will this be evidence for them that this is something that needs to be done? Like I'm, I was, I've been a software engineer for uh, a little while now and I'm like half me just like I kind of just want to make Keyforge Online and Unity and then just be like, hey – Here's this thing. If you want to buy it from me, it's already done. Mm -hmm. And then they'll probably yeah, hit that, me with a cease and desist and not want it. But <laughs> at least I'll have tried. Yeah. I have a feeling a lot of people feel that way at this point. Because it seems there's a lot of, of like software engineers play Keyforge. I have I have yeah. seemed to notice that. For sure. So the uh, the next topic I want to talk to you about is, uh, speaking of online play, is I've noticed that we're starting to see on TCO when you're playing online, I feel like there is more of a balance than there was before in terms of the sets you'll come across in your opponent. Obviously, we're still seeing a dominant mass mutation because I th still think people are cracking that and really enjoying playing those types of decks and seeing new things. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the newest set gets a little bit more love than the older ones, but I do feel that we're also, like you could run into basically any set at any given time and you're going to probably be going against a fairly competitive deck, which I don't think we really saw in the Worlds Collide era as much. It felt very much like you're getting a Coda deck or you're getting a Worlds Collide deck and there was very rarely you're seeing an AOA deck. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I would say that I've definitely noticed a lot more diversity in the sets that I've seen being played on TCO sort of more recently uh during worlds collide i do think that if you weren't playing like a coda rush deck or a worlds collide deck you probably weren't doing as well as you could have been if you were just playing a coda rush deck or a worlds collide deck because i think that the power level of worlds collide was just kind of as a whole uh much higher than aoa and uh to an extent most coda decks agreed um, they uh you know coda rush decks obviously can still by nature of being proactive just get you before you get going but uh mm -hmm. once the world collide deck gets going like uh, what are you gonna do right um yeah so there wasn't a lot of aoa there um with mass mutation there is definitely a lot of strong things going on uh similar to worlds collide but the big thing for it is that there are no scaling amber control cards except uh effervescent principle and, and bring low and bring low which may or yeah. may not be a you know permanent solution depending on yeah it's true what deck you're in uh so because of that there's a lot more they're doing these powerful things but there is this kind of glaring weakness that could be exploited by really any set like if you're playing an aoa deck uh you could do like a you know a drummer knot thing and just like make a bunch of amber and you know if you're going to do that versus like coda or worlds collide you might you might have to call it early just because you can't go too high on amber and you'd like you know get too much to protect it or something like that but if you're going against a uh a worlds collide deck uh not a worlds collide deck a uh, a mass mutation deck then uh you really have nothing to worry about there and also whatever tangential board control you have in that you know aoa deck that's going that route uh you're gonna 
have uh, that's going to be good against mass mutation since almost every mass mutation deck has to win on board. Yeah, mm-hmm. my uh, my brig deck has gotten a new life out of mass mutation, um, and it doesn't feel good to be totally honest because it doesn't feel like a fair fight. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I've actually been on an AOA kick the last month or so. Uh, I don't know it how happens. that happened. Everybody gets there at some point. Anybody with a collection of Keyforge decks has this moment where, like, I just want to dig into, like, AOA. There's, like, some interesting, gritty stuff in that set. For sure, yeah. And I think it was before the Glorious Few event, because the top cut was going to be the draft format. And um, I got, I I practiced that format a lot, and I got pretty decent at it, but I kind of wanted to, so I was looking for a couple cheap decks to fill in some holes in, like, house combinations I didn't have. And I found this one deck, uh, it was, like, an AOA deck, uh, it was Brobnar, Mars, and Untamed, which I didn't really have anything good in. Uh, but it had two Drummer Knots, a Ganger Chieftain, and a, uh, a Martian Generosity. It didn't have a Key Abduction, but it had uh, like a lot of cool stuff in Mars going on. It had, like a ton of ways to recur the Martian Generosity, or like any of the Drummer Knot stuff. Uh, it has no Amber Control in the deck at all whatsoever, except for one Zizix Resonator. And... I was just like playing that a little bit and the deck is just absurdly fun to play. Mm-hmm. And so after playing a lot of that, I was like, all right, you know, I'm kind of like on an AOA kick. And I was like looking through my teammates decks and I was like, Oh, I forgot that, you know, Casey has this silly rush deck. It has heart of the forest and three miasmas, but it's too fast to ever bother with that because you're just going to be up on keys usually with that deck. And I'm like, Oh, that deck's really fun. Um, and then in, my local scene, we do uh, online. Not we not, we don't do online chainbound, but we basically on the day we would have had chainbound, we get together on our Discord and just like play casually, hop in voice chat and hang out. Uh, and then we have a, a league that we do as well, and uh, it's usually a SAS cap league. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to play my lowest SAS deck in the next one, uh, which is an AOA deck that I think is severely underrated. Like it's nowhere near as bad as like the next ten decks, but uh, so I'm playing. My lowest SAS deck, which is like an AOA Ortanu deck, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, those uh, are fun. So yeah, I don't know. It's just like something about AOA, and I think the fact that Mass Mutation plays more from the board that a lot of AOA decks also do that. You can, so you can kind of have a little bit more of a fair fight than you could have versus Coda, where they're just like, you know, playing a bunch of things from their hand and like way ahead of you before you can do anything. Hmm. Do you think this this like uh, I guess this more, I don't want to call it equality, but this more, you're seeing a better showing of all the sets being represented more frequently or more consistently than we were in the past is just because there's just more decks open now. So people have a pool and have found these decks that uh, are a little bit more quality, or do you think it's has to do with time spent with decks they already had and have actually unlocked kind of that aha moment within these decks and realize that they know how to play them now, which they may didn't like fully understand before. It's kind of interesting. I think that um, those two things are probably always going to be uh, fighting one another, right? Because Mm -hmm. the main reason I think that Coda is still more competitive than Worlds Collide is because there's like, what, three or four or five times more Coda decks opened. So it's just like more likely that the truly degenerate stuff has been opened. Uh, and And also like people have been playing that longer. Mm-hmm. But if a new deck that is really good gets opened, obviously a uh, person might not have played it as much. And uh, they might be hesitant to 
jump ship and switch decks. So I think, I mean, as far as set diversity goes, uh, I think it's just kind of the nature of there being four sets now and there being enough diversity in the way those four sets play that you're not just to always... It's like, I think when Coda and AOA were out, it was like playing rocks, paper, scissor, but you could never pick rock. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not suggesting that it's really like rocks, paper, scissors, but I, but like AOA is not very good against Coda generally, I would say, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, you're right. Yeah. But it has a better chance against the more board-based, the because every set since Coda has been more board-based. Uh, so... It's just that there are fewer decks that it just automatically loses to. Not that it would automatically lose, but I think you kind of get the point that I'm getting at, right? Yeah, for sure. Do you think that we're stuck with that? I mean, one of the big selling points of the game when they first wheeled it out was decks are legal forever. You're never going to have a deck that's useless because forever and ever you'll always be able to play it. But of course, you know, they've changed the dynamic of the game so much. But that means that, you know, now we don't have answers for some of those, you know, classic, classic decks in current sets. And so it sort of creates this quandary of, well, as a Keyforge player, I definitely don't want to just keep going back to my classic Coda decks. But also, do I have a chance to beat another classic Coda deck with a current, you know? I think that through the introduction of, and this is really important, common level hate cards uh if it's a rare it doesn't matter because like desania exists but it functionally may as well not exist right um Mm -hmm. because like there's there's almost no chance that you'll run into something that's going to punish you for having a big archive um whereas having things like discombobulator uh odoac uh those like really hurt stealing right so Mm -hmm having a lot of common level steel hate cards, there's like a post pixies and Molophin or whatever, uh, that's going to make whatever it's hating worse. Like how Infernus exists uh, at common and can purge a lot of cards uh, from a lot of decks, depending on what the rest of the uh, setup is. But that makes certain combo decks weaker. If you're reliant on a certain card, and it gets like discarded, or uh, you know, you draw it early, and like you have to play it early, and it gets purged from an infernus, and you can't get it back to it on the second cycle. Those decks get worse. Um, decks that just have a ton of amber pips and not a lot else going on, infernus is good against those. Um, so, as more hate cards get introduced at the common level. Uh, it's going to make it so that you can't as reliably just do one specific thing and just hope that carries you. And I mean, in a lot of cases, these specific hate cards are targeting Coda, right? Which is just kind of like raw Amber and steal the set. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that if you have a problem archetype emerge, there's some way to have a good number of decks from whatever the next set is uh, that are just going to naturally have uh, a good chance to have a, a card that's it's specifically good in that matchup. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally. So I guess to segue from that point on to the last point that I wanted to ask you about, and that's just kind of get your take on what we were discussing last week. And that's as we as players, you know, you start accumulating decks and realize you can't necessarily use all the decks you've played or they're just too mediocre to really spend time with. And you just start accumulating more and more decks. You're going to get to this point where, like, I have 
I legit feel like I have too many decks. What do I do with them? Do you think that's going to have an impact on sales within the game? Or do you think that people are going to always want to purchase a ton of decks every time trying to find that thing, uh, that, you know, that one hot deck? That's, that's the one question I've been wondering. Like, is this going to affect the sales of the game in terms of can, like the, the core group that already exists where obviously new players coming in are going to have that excitement and feel and buy a ton of decks? But will we see those initial 2 million decks that were sold and those people that contributed to that buy less decks as time goes on because their collection is just too big like what are your thoughts on that sure and specifically you mean buying like sealed product from your correct like new new decks you don't know what's inside that sort of thing obviously the secondary market and as a a like i guess goes along with this is the i think the secondary market is going to become stronger over time as a result of the same concept right uh so i think that whenever a new set comes out most of the enfranchised players are going to buy whatever amount that they usually buy of each set. For me, like, I think I bought one box of Coda, two boxes of AOA, three boxes of Worlds Collide. And I think I would probably keep it at three boxes normally going forward just because I play a lot. And, um, you know, but I ended up buying way more Mass Mutation this time around because there are no events. So... And I want, well, I wanted, I wanted to support my local game store because like they were struggling a little bit as I'm sure a lot of local game stores are right now because uh, mm-hmm. you can't really get out and play. Uh, and two, it's like, I just, you know, myself and uh, Becca, uh, want, my uh, wife wanted to play sealed. So like we just had a bunch of boxes to play sealed with whenever we we're like, oh, like can't go to Chainbound. Let's just play some sealed or whatever. Right. Um, I think that what I'm trying to say about that is People are probably going to buy whatever amount they buy at release still. And as long as sealed events are still happening, people are still going to be opening more product there. I think there might be fewer people who are like, they look and wait for like those sales. Cause I know there's always posts about like, Oh, if you go on Amazon right now, Coda decks are, you know, Coda boxes are 30 bucks or something like, or they found like, you know, their local game store had like AOA on clearance and they, ended up buying five boxes for like 200 bucks or something. I don't know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that people are going to be less likely to do that. Uh, At least I'm not. It doesn't matter what the deal is. It's more like the, the fact that you're going to have that many decks that you're probably not going to be able to use factor is going to come more into play. I got two filing cabinets from Ikea that I store my decks in. And like, at some point they'll be full. Yeah. That's, that's the wild thing. And what do you do with those decks? Like that's, that was the question we were really asking. Sure. Like, um, well, one thing I like to do uh, that's nobody ever plays these formats, but I always try to come up with a bunch of different uh, variants. Like whenever I see a deck, I'm like, what what conditions would make this shine? And so I spent a lot of time just thinking about stupid formats. Like I always joke about uh, Triad Triad Survival, uh, which is a 27 deck format, uh, <laughs> which is naturally going to get you deeper into your collection than anything else um but then on top of that i'm like well what other restrictions can i put on like and i'm like oh well none of the decks in each triad triad can overlap on houses or not each triad can't have any overlapping houses so then you need nine triads that made up of nine different houses right and so then i'm like really digging through my collection i'm like all right how can i like configure this okay like i have to put this here or whatever and i i have spreadsheets that are helping with this now but like 
basically, I spend some free time making up formats that no one will ever play with me and deciding that if this format ever happens, this is the deck for me in that format. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. We call this one Help Help from Future future Self. self. This is kind of an old lesson, but with a bit of a new spin that I gave uh, it for myself this past week. We all use Decks of Keyforge. Decks of Keyforge is a wonderful resource. Please, 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 before you dismiss a deck, dig into the numbers. I think we're at a point now where... The meta of what we understand to be good in mass mutation has by and large settled, but that does not necessarily mean that we have a full understanding of what every good deck in that uh, set looks like. And I found myself going through my mass mutation decks from the first two boxes that I opened and looking at decks I had never played before and finding, if not competitive, at the very least interesting decks. And what I had mentally done with these decks was I had seen 63 SAS. Okay, forget about it. I'm not even going to bother checking this out until I get through playing all these like much better on paper decks. But now that I'm kind of bored with all of my like quote unquote best mass mutation decks, I don't want to go out and just buy new decks for the sake of doing it, but I do want a new Keyforge experience. And that's been the motivation for me to say, okay, forget about SAS. Let me just look and see what's in these decks. Let me look for interesting things like uh, what's the highest efficiency out of all these decks. What are the most interesting expected Amber? What has the most Amber control? What's the most interesting Delta between Amber control and expected Amber. And uh, honestly, uh, analyzing those numbers has pointed out decks to me that are fun to play maybe i'll never play them in a vault tour maybe i'll never even play them in a like a local tournament but at least it has given me something to do with those decks and you know that's definitely something that i think we've been thinking and talking about a lot recently on this podcast what do you do with all of those decks that you haven't been playing well maybe you'll find some decks that are actually worth giving some spins yeah for sure and i think that like especially if you're looking at mass mutation decks uh I've found there to be little to no correlation between the SAS number and what I think about the deck. Really? Um, little it's to definitely know. better with the, you know, the first three. Um, like, you know, there are outliers here and there, but there are like way more outliers that I've seen in, in mass mutation or like decks that are very highly rated that are kind of trash. Um, but I think, I mean, just like today, there was like an eBay auction that ended for what is probably the best mass mutation deck I've ever seen. And it's like 72 SAS. Which is like kind of high, but not what you see everybody clickbaiting auctions for, you know. Mm-hmm. How much did it go for, out of curiosity? Uh, 505 euros. I did not win it. I didn't really bid on it, but. Fair price. I was just. Uh, so was, was it a Dark Ember Vault deck? Yeah, 20 mutants. Yeah, I saw that one. I was uh, I was looking into it because I just sold my uh, my DAV deck, which I, I think is the best DAV deck I've ever seen. And, um, I mean, I, I was able to generate 83 Ember in one turn with it and end the game with 103 Ember. So if you ever want to do an episode where you talk about dark Amber vault, get one of the Kip guys on here. Cause they, they have all the, including this one I just mentioned, they have all of the dark Amber vault texts that are <laughs> really, really good. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure they've, you know, would have more insightful things to say than I drew a lot of cards. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I've seen Grant's deck. It's uh, it's pretty gross. Yeah, yeah. They have a couple decks like that, and it's just like, whoo, well, that's your style. Like, yeah. At least for me. <laughs> yeah, what if we get to that enough. point with Dav where that uh, we kind of hit with uh, Genka, where people would just quit the moment they see the deck? 
I wonder. Like I, I did have uh, a couple of times when I was testing out Gankadex, I was thinking of buying where I would load into a game and people would literally just like hit concede right away. And they're like, nope, sorry, don't play Ganka. Not worth it. Um, could happen with Dav. Some of those Dav decks are mean. All right. Uh, Dave, where can they find you online? Uh, probably see me on the Keyforge Facebook page. Um, the admin there. I'm in pretty much every Keyforge Discord. So if you just tag at Dave C, I'll probably be there. Uh, on YouTube, I've been uploading different uh, gameplay videos from all the different online leagues that we were talking about to Reap Out TV, uh, which is the team's YouTube channel. But while we're on lockdown, I'm trying to get some content on there just, you know, whenever I can find mm-hmm. some time to record. So it's pretty much where you can find me. Excellent. You can find me as Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter for the podcast at HFFS Podcast. Blake, where can they find you? What have you got going on this week? Oh, I'm I'm moving this week, so um, I'm doing. Did my stream this week? After you're hearing this, every Tuesday I do it, and literally the next day I'm taking my whole setup down and getting ready to move everything. And hopefully I'll be up and running for the following Tuesday. You can find me on my YouTube uh, Boulevard Paper Fight. My Twitch is Boulevard Blake. All right, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hopefully we can have you on again in the future. Until next time, stay forward.